Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. I'm Simone de Rochefort. I'm a video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined today once again by Brianna Wu, Democratic Representative for Congress, and our friend of the show, Jeff Wong, returning once again to challenge Christina for her position. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to enter, only one may stay. Yeah, the funny thing is, listeners, like, Jeff sounds so nice, but before the show, he's always saying, this is the week I'm going to show Christina, who's boss, like, just watch and learn. He he was saying that. That's what he said. Yeah. He was saying that, and then he was talking all kinds of smack about Christina. You know, and I was friends Tanacon with Christina before I ever met either of you. <laughs> and if you go ahead and stab- sabotage my relationship with her, it reminds me of actually the new movie The Favorite, which I saw this weekend. But anyway. <laughs> yes, the movie's so good. <laughs> but enough about historical lesbians. I think we we wanted we wanted to open up with a brief. Uh, call back to a conversation we were having last week when I mentioned ethics, <laughs> ethics in technology, uh, and how don't uh, do this to me, Simone. I'm not doing it to you. Don't do it. How a diverse don't do education. It. No. Okay, <laughs> Bree, it's okay. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. You just you made my heart skip for a second. There. Oh okay. God, there are no jokes. <laughs> There are no jokes in the world. Uh, how a diverse, well-rounded education is important even uh, for people pursuing STEM, uh, which is something that's a very specialized area of knowledge that obviously takes many, many years of difficult study. Um, and we had a dozen more things to say about that, but we had to keep going with the show. So I wanted to toss things over to Jeff, who has uh, a rebuttal to my my rather <laughs> simplistic statement. I wouldn't say it's a rebuttal. <laughs> um, you're fighting all of us in turn. Oh, that's you, true. You took oh my down gosh, I'm, it's, it's you're three against to one, and and I don't think this is going to be work out well for me. Um, I uh, oh, so first of all, actually, I don't I don't feel like I introduced myself last time, so I'll just briefly say uh, I am an AI and business strategy consultant at a little a firm called Mindscale.ai, and we're based here in Silicon Valley, um, and. Uh, so actually, I, I had a lot of thoughts. It wasn't just based on what we said last week, but, you know, this has been percolating in my brain for a bit, um, which is I absolutely believe that it's important for uh, people who go through STEM to have not just the opportunity and, you know, the jury's out, but possibly the requirement to study things beyond that, um, both for personal enrichment and learning for learning's sake, but also because, you know, we've talked about how so many of these tech bros, they don't seem to have a clear understanding of ethics. And so, Simone, um, if uh, if I am quoting you correctly, you basically said like, well, you know, these folks should definitely take ethics courses or something like that. And a, a number of people have said similar things. And I, I guess... I think that that may be necessary, but it's absolutely not sufficient. And I just thought of a number of examples of people who've been very educated in humanities and philosophy and ethics, and they still act the way they do. So just some examples that came to mind is that, uh, you know, we talked uh, quite a lot about Facebook uh, last episode. And Mark Zuckerberg went to uh, a very famous prep school named Exeter, where he learned Latin uh, as a teenager, and he was very good at it. And he could easily have done very well uh, at Harvard rather than studying computer science as a classics major, where he would have been required to study Greek and Latin and learned everything that the greatest thinkers of thousands of years have said in the original uh, language about ethics. And I suspect that wouldn't really have changed his behavior very much. Um, there are other examples like the PayPal mafia, several of whom, of whom graduated from uh, you know, very, very prestigious programs in philosophy and law at Stanford in the 90s. And yet they still came out with what I would say are mm, ethical stances that I don't particularly <laughs> agree Including with. Including our favorite vampire, Peter Thiel. <laughs> Um, uh, alleged alleged (laughs) sorry alleged vampire who wants to steal the blood of the young peter teal i always mess up on that alleged thing yes yes we can we'll fix it in post (laughs) (laughs) it's my fatal flaw yes all of your points are you have you have produced tangible evidence that philosophy and ethics courses are not enough to, I guess, make somebody consider 
the ramifications of of their policy or the technology that they're developing. And I guess to that, I would say that we have to eat the rich and destroy (laughs) their money reserves. Uh Uh-oh. Do you have something to say? Because I actually have a possibly more constructive (laughs) suggestion. I think even the best educated and smartest people, and don't get me wrong, the PayPal mafia folks and Zuck, they are very smart people. But just because of the way they're able to move through the world and the power they have access to and, you know, what people criticize as social justice warriors, but they have privilege. And so they're not going to access and experience the world the way other people are. So I think the answer is, I mean, you know, it's not original to me, is to have other and different voices in the room. People for whom, whether or not they've, you know, taken all these like uh, courses on ancient philosophers, people who have to live in the power systems and the institutions that we have today, people who are, you know, of various minorities and, uh, you know, underrepresented groups, because they, for them, it's not abstract. It is a real thing. Um, And I I think that is the best way forward. I mean, we could have everyone uh, watch The Good Place for required watching. And I think that will probably improve the level of dialogue. But if it's all just the same type of people watching it, I think that that won't necessarily improve things. I think that's well said. I think that's well said. That is a good point. I wanted to have a bit of uh, additional uh, follow-up this week uh, from last week's show. Uh, We very briefly got into uh, the fact that uh, Microsoft is going to start building a browser with Chromium. And a friend of the show, Michael Ball, uh, sent me a really thoughtful amount of uh, of follow-up about this. And the long and the short of it is he just wanted to point out that Microsoft contributes very heavily to uh, web standards like uh, W3C. And he wanted to just point out that it's really not good for the open web uh, if the only person with a voice on like the web standards is Google. And how, you know, if we want an open internet, you know, we need other voices in the room. I thought that was a really good point. And I just wanted to mention that this week. All right, let's get into some tech news for you folks. It, it's going to be a very a, a big week for you, Bree, in talking about <laughs> things uh, because both of our topics are very you. So this is what happens when I get to, to like work the topics. We propose the topics, you win the show. That's how yeah, it goes. it's true, <laughs> especially on a busy Monday. Yes. All right, so Epic Games, legendary makers of. Fortnite, as you know, have you heard of that game? As well as many other games, um, <laughs> such as the now deceased Paragon. Um, they have removed their Infinity Blade series from the App Store this week, which comes on the heels of their announcement that they're kind of positioning their own Epic launcher to compete with Steam as a platform for buying and launching and playing video games. Um, And the issue of them removing Infinity Blade from the App Store is is kind of, it's its its own thing because basically it's this very long-running fantasy series on iOS that has existed. Yeah. And now no longer exists. Yep. Uh, Three, like, large-scale games that are that they've whooshed away um we don't know they say that the reason for this is because they're going so all in on fortnite which was also their reason for shutting down paragon earlier um they have not said whether they haven't said whether the games will like appear again on the epic launcher or anything it's not like that kind of bait and switch story as far as we know it's just that they they don't have any time or resources to devote to maintaining these games in an ever-shifting iOS um, ecosystem, so they're gone. Bree, as a software developer, I am yep. sure that you have feelings about this. Well, I do have a lot of feelings about this. I feel like uh, you know a lot of this has gotten um, portrayed uh, in the announcement. Uh, as part of the announcement about the uh, Unreal Epic store that's coming Mm -hmm. out. We didn't cover this last week, but uh, basically Epic is putting out a storefront to rival Steam where you'll be able to get Epic games on there. And the really cool thing about the store is it's really um, focused more on developers. 
we don't talk about it a lot on the show, but Unreal Engine 4 has been just such a huge success, Simone. Uh, when we were doing Rev60 and trying to get the documentation uh, for Unreal Engine 3, it was a freaking nightmare. You had to pay Epic, uh, you know, $30,000 just to have full access to inject C++ code into it. It was a real nightmare. Epic then came out with Unreal Engine 4, and they did a really wonderful job uh, documenting it as, as mm-hmm. they were going. I would say for any computer science student wanting to get into the game industry today, uh, I would really say download Unreal Engine 4 and start playing with it because it is really, really well documented and you can learn how we do video game pipelines. So we didn't really cover that last week, but that's kind of what's going on with Epic. You know, they make the uh, Unreal Engine, which means they made the engine behind uh, Mass Effect, behind Dragon mm-hmm. Age, behind Arkham Knight. Uh, behind uh, Gears of War mm-hmm. and like a ton of other really important critical you know, AAA games. And also my game studio specialized in uh, Unreal Engine. So that's, that's one force over here. Um, now, now you have Infinity Blade, which is uh, basically being removed from the App Store. And I think this really brings up an issue about uh, gaming history and the, um, I would say, Apple's lackadaisical attitude towards helping people preserve these gaming memories. And, mm-hmm. and just to give people a little bit of background on Infinity Blade, when the iPad first came out, like this is what Steve Jobs was showing to kind of sell you that first iPad. Like it was a very touch-based, gesture-based combat system. You're sliding on the screen. It was arcade-perfect controls. It was just a a really, really well-done, well-polished game. Uh, Infinity Blade 1 was good. Infinity Blade 2 was really good. And Infinity Blade 3 was kind of at this point where our industry was really getting deep into in-app purchases and fun pain timers and all that crap that uh, really destroys gaming today. This is a stat I think about a lot when I think about this context. The number of kids that have played Minecraft obsessively is exponentially more than the number of kids that played the original Super Mario Brothers in the 80s. And wow. today, oh, it's it's much bigger. And the number of kids that are playing Fortnite today is way bigger than anything anyone was playing on the Super Nintendo. Gaming is just a much bigger field. So when we're talking about preserving those childhood experiences, I would really ask everyone out there in the audience to think about how much you love Final Fantasy 4, how much you love Final Fantasy 6, how much you might love Super Mario Brothers. And then think about a child that's going to grow up and not be able to play those games very easily because Apple has made it very, very difficult to uh, basically do what we do in the game industry, like release something for a console. It works at that time. And then, like, that console continues to exist. So, you know, 20 years from now, I can still pick up a Dreamcast game and play it. That's mm-hmm. not something Apple seems to have any interest in doing with the App Store. And last, I'll say uh, on this, one of the problems with Unreal Engine 3 from a technical level is it is, it's not, it's been deprecated. So Unreal isn't currently really supporting Unreal Engine 3, which means Mass Effect, which means Dragon Age, which means Revolution 60, which means Infinity Blade. It means all these games are not really supported. So when Apple updates their App Store rules, one of the unfortunate effects of anyone that used Unreal Engine, and I'm sure it's the same for Unity, is you don't really have ways to go back through and recompile those old games to keep them mm-hmm. on the app store concurrently. Um, I would love to go do that and make sure revolution 60 stays on the app store forever. Cause I'm very proud of that. I put four years of my life into that game, mm-hmm. but I'm really not sure that I can because you're just trapped between Epic continuing to support unreal engine three and Apple not wanting to work with the engines that had to pick up their slack for a lack of 3D APIs, if that makes sense. 
It's funny that this should uh, become an issue or, or that, that this should be in the news right now because of Epic, because I was just reading uh, the blog of a small developer called Simogo, which makes some incredible freaking uh mobile games uh, device six being one of them sailor's dream being another one am i just seeing that they have a new one that they literally just posted about okay <laughs> i have some research to do this literally just hit this is from like two days ago okay anyway but um i was reading up on their blog because they hadn't released anything in a long time except that apparently now they're revealing a new game um and one of the reasons for that was because they had chosen like as a very small developer helmed by two people uh, to go back and make sure to be updating their previous games to make sure they could stay on iOS um, and instead of releasing new games and making more money on something that could, you know, garner more attention, maybe end up on the front of the app store because it's fresh and new, they were going back and just trying to keep their old games afloat. So I, I can see this being a problem, not just because it's a resource thing for developers to keep their stuff up, but also, because, I mean, even if you weren't devoting your attention to making new games, those old games could still get you some some money because people are buying them if they're not broken. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a really a lose-lose situation. You're dead on. And, I mean, Jeff, how do you feel about this? Like, you've certainly had to maintain a code base before, I would, I would guess. Right. Well, you know, it's funny... Luckily, I don't think I've had to. Well, I certainly haven't um, supported apps that completely lived and died by the the App Store. Um, often, we usually had a, a web client, and it goes to show that um, Apple is a steward and not always a great steward, especially for historical things. I mean, it shows that these third-party developers that rely so much on the App Store ecosystem and the iOS ecosystem to reach, you know, all those hundreds of millions of consumers around the world, they have, they're standing on shifting sand uh, because of deprecated APIs and, like you said, um, you know, no longer uh, supporting this, the, the correct version of Unreal Engine or maybe not giving the latest version support for Unreal 4. Um, and I mean, I guess the, the main thing it makes me think of is what the historical legacy will be. Um, uh, it reminds me actually of a while back when, uh, uh in an Orwellian move, I, I believe Amazon, uh, wiped off a version of George Orwell's 1984 from people's Kindles because there was some sort of rights <laughs> issue. Do you yeah, guys remember that? I do. Um, and, and then of course that made people really upset because like, look, th- there's a lot of power in the digital world, but it's also you know, a little alarming, both for ownership purposes, but also for the preservation of our culture and our civilization. You know, um, those books, uh, the books that have been printed hundreds or even thousands of years ago can survive in certain circumstances. But we don't know with the change of APIs and ownerships, and especially a lockdown format like the App Store versus something like the web, um, if things are going to last even, you know, uh, five years, much less 500. And, you know, that's a problem on the bit rot is a huge problem on the web, which is why the Internet Archive is a great thing. But at least that's a relatively open standard. What do you do when you have proprietary things, both in the third party developer side, who has some pieces and then Apple has other pieces? I don't have mm-hmm. an answer to this, but I just think this is going to be a really uh, serious challenge for like our cultural memory. And yeah, I mean, and you're right. And you know, to be fair, there's no point in the past where video games have been perfectly uh, preserved. Like if you ever tried to play the original Metal Gear 2, uh, it's not the version that they released on the NES. If I remember correct, it came out for the ZX Spectrum. Um, or no, it was, uh, oh God, what was it? It was, it was some obscure, uh, computer that really made a big, uh, you know, impact in Japan and not here in the States. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to play that today, you're playing it like through some emulator, you might be able to get on the Vita store. Like this is continually a problem. Mm -hmm. But my, my big point here is, you know, I think, 99.9% of Apple's games, no one is going to look back fondly on. I I hate to say that, but most of them are this in-app purchase crapola. 
Cruel and but fair. It's, it's cruel but fair. I played a lot of the Westworld game, Simone, but it's not something I would spend money to play again, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a <laughs> it's a nice diversion. That said, there are some games on iOS that deserve to transcend the ages. I think like Infinity Blade absolutely belongs on that list. And it just, it absolutely kills me that um, just because of this situation, we're not going to be able to continue to to play it. And I think mm-hmm. that's a real loss for gaming history. And like that um, emulated game that you were talking about earlier, it was, sorry, was that Metal Gear Metal Gear 2. Metal Gear uh, 2. Yeah. It, Infinity Blade is something that was made for a specific piece of hardware. Correct. And could be emulated, but in terms of archiving, as my wonderful coworker Jenna Steber is always saying, because she is an academic, the the big question at the core of archiving is, well, what what is truly preserving and archiving an experience? It is the experience on the hardware it was designed for. Because otherwise you are you're fundamentally altering that thing. I would argue yes. I I think yes. Yeah. Um, I think honestly we could also we could even open this up wider to the digitizing of game sales in general, because digital storefronts, again, unlike physical cartridges can break. They stop being produced, they become very rare. But digital storefronts and anything digital could cease to exist entirely, much like the source code of certain (laughs) games, like, say, Final Fantasy VI, that uh, are rumored to be lost and literally can never be recreated, uh, even to be be emulated or remastered, rather. Um, So... Yeah, yeah, I think it I think it it is an issue with updating iOS and the tension between developers and that software and it's also something that could be much much larger than that. Yeah. Last thing I'll say on this before we move on. Uh a lot of people don't know this, but China took a huge stake in Epic a few years ago. Uh this is when we had game engines in our field, and they were dying right and left. Uh, you know, Amazon uh, bought the old Crytek engine and called it Lumberyard, tried to get API interest and completely failed at it. Uh, and you know, China and Tencent, if I'm remembering correctly, bought a huge stake in uh, Unreal Engine. And um, this is, it ended up having a good thing because, like I said, Unreal Engine 4 is much more accessible than Unreal Engine 3 has been. But because you've got bean counters there, like, do you know what I mean? Like Mm. working on this, I would really urge you to consider all the things that are being lost when you've got a business interest that's in charge of, of maintaining one of our most important engines. Bioshock Infinite. If you like Bioshock, that's an, that's Unreal Engine, right? Uh, I mean, Mass Effect, Simone, you love Mass Effect as much as I do. And it breaks my heart to know that Unreal Engine is not being maintained the way it needs to be. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I guess I'm saying this stuff matters. And, you know, Jeff, something I've thought a lot about since our discussion last week, our field, you know, the people that go into it, we care about ethics. Like we care about a purity of vision. And I think generally speaking, we get our stuff right when we're talking about open web standards. But it's when all these business interests come into our field and it just turns the entire set of priorities upside down. And I think it's really the point that our industry starts making decisions that certainly I'm not proud of. And then this is one of them. Okay. Well said. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Woo! Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. I thought I'd do a different character for each one, you guys. Thank you. <laughs> do you how do you like that? I'm honored. I should go I'm ahead honored. with that? Okay. Please, please. Well, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. 
You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. That's fun. I like that. I like stressing (laughs) the wrong syllable of words. Like when you say polar bears instead of polar bears. Polar bears. I could make a website all about stressing the wrong syllable of words. (laughs) I could embed audio clips on every page. So that people would read, I could, me of me reading the content of each page to make sure that people knew how it was supposed to be read. You're the William Shatner of podcast ad reads. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm going to make a website about? I'm going to make a website for me telling me about Simogo's new game so that I can know the news that is that I missed Three days ago, because I wasn't covering the Game Awards, because I was hanging out with my wonderful father, who I love. <laughs> Simogo sounds like an alter ego for Simone. It really does. That's probably your Salem witch trial name. <laughs> my Salem witch trial name would be like p- 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 Pontification Jennings. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, new website idea for Squarespace. Beautiful, beautiful template. Um, and I will make a, a a page where you can find your Salem witch trial name. So oh, it'll it'll good. show like it, what month were you born in? Um, yeah, okay, your first name is this, and then what was uh the name of your oldest neighbor that creeped you out? The last name of the, your oldest neighbor that creeped you out, and that's your last name for the Salem witch trial name. Um, and that's how it's going to go. So Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required. And it won't be a witch trial either by going to squarespace.com slash rocket. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and show your support for rocket. Once again, that is squarespace.com dot com slash rocket and the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for your support. It's Ira Glass, Terry Gross, Simone de Rushfor, National Treasures. Yeah. Best <laughs> best voice awards. Yes. Okay, folks. Well, Take I have to two. ask you before we go on. I mean, do you feel now that you've seen behind the curtain of how Rocket is made? Like, are you still going to be able to listen to the show? It's it's totally changed my experience. But I was going to say that uh, Simone, you are irreplaceable. Oh. <laughs> um, I spent so much time trying to make a limerick that would work to con- to to to, to uh, synthesize some of the stories, but uh, it just didn't work out. But but Thank I'm going to keep working on it now. And when I go back to just being a listener again, I'm going to email you uh, okay. things that i hope that, that you'll read on the air acceptable. <laughs> that's okay uh listener backstory we had some parables that we were considering reading on the show today but they were very long so i told they jeff i'll long. read it if it's a limerick uh because parables and limericks are basically the same thing as we all know uh because we've had a humanities education that is extensive and proper so but anyway i went that, to public school in mississippi simone that's factual <laughs> yeah thank said. you so You're exciting welcome. exciting news uh, Audi's first electric SUV uh, has been driven by Jonathan Gitlin from Ars Technica in Abu Dhabi because that's where they were test driving it. Um, this is super exciting. So Audi has been devoting, or VW rather, uh, Volkswagen has been devoting a lot of energy into preparing to flood the market with German manufactured electric cars which is exciting for the environment it's exciting on a technological level um and this is the first suv that they have had available for test drive and i want brianna to tell me (laughs) i feel like i've talked too much jeff what do you think about this well um just stepping back I, i think of the context um you know 
uh, Audi, as part of Volkswagen Group, is pushing really hard into electro, uh, you know, uh, electric vehicles as a future. After many years of investing in uh, diesel ve- uh, <laughs> vehicles, and I can't I believe help there but think some that problems there. <laughs> yeah, I can't help but think that this part of it is because you know they want to you know it's a competitive market that Tesla has really you know uh, pushed consumer awareness on. It is uh, the future of the industry. There are all these business and technical reasons for uh, Audi and Volkswagen to move in this direction. But I think it's also because they're trying to probably recover from one of the most scandalous like corporate uh, you know malfeasances uh, in, in automotive history. Where uh, for those who don't know, there was uh, you know that they, they were talking about how diesel was not just more cost efficient, but also uh, so uh, environment so much environmentally superior uh, to you know traditional petrol, and uh, they were getting really great results. But it was only because there was a tremendous amount of fraud. And you know, I, I don't want to go into the details. This is more about the e-tron, but uh, basically. Uh, eventually, the CEO had to resign after they were blaming individual engineers who had changed around like the sensors that were so they had one set of sensors that would go directly to the emissions uh, and you know like the US Department of Transportation monitoring uh, folks versus what actually was in shipping cars. So that was I mean, you know, as you might know from my uh, other discussions, I'm always interested in institutions and organizations and how they work. So that was the part that actually jumped out to me even more than the e-tron. But but um, uh, Brianna, you are much more the auto guru than I am. So I would love to <laughs> yeah. hear your perspective. This is what I want to post to you, Brie, because th- this article, I say, as a person who has read it, is full of <laughs> so many numbers, so many. There's a paragraph in this article that is honestly 90% numbers. So I would like, I would appreciate you telling me as a layperson, I'm the layperson in this scenario, what is the like nugget of a takeaway that I as a person who honestly does not give a single crap about how this car drives, etc. Sure. Or like how 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 long it is, how long its fenders are. What is the thing that I'm excited about here? Sure. Uh, do you have a pencil nearby? Yes. Okay. Do you get a piece of paper? Yes. Okay, okay. Be prepared to write this down. I've got a napkin. It sucks. Wow. It <laughs> sucks. Sucks. With an S. Two S's. Two actually. S's. Okay. No, okay. So this is the basic problem that Audi is trying to, to, to overcome here is can Audi become Tesla faster than Tesla can become Audi, right? Uh like Audi and the Volkswagen group, they've got a long history of producing this stuff. Can they learn to make electric cars faster than, you know, Tesla can get stuff together? Personally, I'm going to bet on Audi and, and Porsche for that. This car, uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting to note that the Model 3 is selling really well, even though no one wants cars today. No one is buying cars. I'm buying cars because I'm a ridiculous person. But, it seems to be your like stress response, right? Is right. to buy no, cars, right? No one, no one cares about cars these days. People do care about crossovers and SUVs. So uh, Audi is basically putting out uh, uh, something that feels like an Audi. It's a big, unwieldy, two-ton SUV. It's got the, you know, the Audi seats and the Audi quality level, and it doesn't like blast off like a Tesla, but it is a luxurious, comfortable, not particularly fast, not particularly well handling car that gives you a lot of range. And I would argue this is the future of the industry, which is just kind of boring, right? Like this is where we're going to. But that's kind of cool, right? Like for normies. Yeah, that's what you well, you drove an awesome car. I mean, your Corolla had personality. I would rather drive that than I would like an SUV, but you know, it's it's uh, I I just think like this is where our industry is going, right? Like uh when you know, we just had uh was it GM that shut down uh yet another one of their uh their auto factories here. They killed the third shift and the second shift and they finally killed the 
first primary shift. The only new factory in the United States is going to be producing SUVs. This is the way the market's going. The people that love sports cars like me, we're dead enders. We don't matter. So you got nowhere um, to go but down. Right. It's true. It's true. There's not going to be sports cars in the future. Do you think that's a sign of as as unexciting and horrible as this is for your electric sports car future? Do you think that this is a sign of longevity for the electric car industry? Absolutely. I think this is great news. Like a a good boring car being put out by one of the major automakers is great news because it means this tech is going to start filtering down, which means we're going to start saving the planet much sooner. Just one more thing I'm going to say here, and I want to give people like a a 30,000 foot view of this because I've been talking to a lot of like national security people this week. Countries that have independent uh, energy independence are generally successful and powerful in ways that don't have that countries that don't have energy independence are not. If you think about what China has done in the last 15 years, they have mandated that they're moving 100% towards uh, electric vehicles, and they are leading the world in renewable energy. They're building more renewable energy power plants. They are uh, developing key technologies. They're getting key patents all around this issue. Here in the United States, ironically, we've also gotten a lot of energy independence. But the way we've done that is by the shale revolution. Another name you might know this by is fracking. Mm. Basically pumping salt water into the ground to get all of that stuff out. Uh, So... Yeah, the stakes are really high here for other companies coming out with this technology and us moving to cars that are electric as soon as possible. I would argue this is a national security issue. So, yeah, Simone, I completely agree with you. This boring car, (laughs) I think it's the future and it's a great sign for the environment. That's great. I love that. Yeah. What do you two think? Jeff, what do you think about this, uh, this boring car? (laughs) <laughs> I, I think this boring car is a good, um, you know, conversation starter for the larger issues. Um, I mean, the way I, you know, going to the 30,000 foot view that you mentioned, Brie, I, I, there are three big trends hitting automobiles um, and have been, you know, I see that from my perspective in the tech industry. Um, uh, one is uh, this shift from you know, internal combustion uh, engine drivetrains to um, uh, hybrid and fully electric. That's one. Uh, two is, you know, all this talk about autonomous cars, self-driving cars, and all that other stuff. And then number three is less of a technology issue, but more of a um, of a business model and uh, usage and ownership issue, which is just, you know, the rise of Uber and Lyft and ride sharing. And what does it mean? Do, do people need to still own exclusively the car the way they used to? I mean, one way of looking at a car is something that, you know, for some major fraction of his time, anywhere from, you know, 78% to 98% is taking up a parking space, right, mm-hmm. to more yeah. of this flexible model. So those are all three things that uh, is there an intersection of uh, the automotive industry and, and Silicon Valley. And I think public policy has a very major uh, role to play here, because what does that mean in terms of our city planning, in terms of our public transit? I think five, six years ago, the more idealistic people said, hey, this means that we can have fewer net uh, cars on the road if you know people are sh- ride sharing more but i think as we look at more recent data my understanding is that actually it just means that uh there's it's actually adding to congestion because people would just jump in single use vehicles uh you know short sharing at one time as opposed to you know uh using alternate methods and so if people don't it's absolutely true by the way yeah. that is true yeah and, and, and so i i can't help but think that like there isn't going to be a single solution to the climate change challenge. Um, and I think the more that we can normalize, uh, you know, clean emissions vehicles like this very boring, but in that extent, exciting <laughs> um, e-tron, the better. But it's just going to be one of many, many, many tools um, that we're going to need for this, you know, I think generational fight. Yeah. I mean, it's important to think every time you get on a plane, I forget what the number is, you have to recycle somewhere like 50,000 water bottles to offset the carbon emissions of just that one seat of me flying from Boston to uh, San Francisco, which I do all the time. 
like uh, airplanes are a huge source of carbon emissions. My point here is that this is multifactorial. Uh, I forget, does anyone know what the number is here? If I remember correctly, individual automobiles are like 10% of carbon emissions or 15%. Like it's it's a major variable, but it's not the biggest variable. Is that correct? I'll, I'll quickly Google it, but... um. I don't know offhand, but it is true. I mean, agriculture it's one generates... one-fifth of U.S. emissions. 20%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Does it say what agriculture is and, you know, other usage? Well, we've got to look worldwide. It's not just the U.S. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. I, I'm not sure what it would be worldwide. I just clicked the first thing that came up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it is... There, there are so many, so many factors and things that we need to be doing to uh, tackle global warming in, in any meaningful sense. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with me recycling 50,000 water bottles. And a lot of that also has to do with companies figuring out where in their existing mission their responsibility lies. And it seems like in this case... Audi has chosen a, like a a way of doing that that makes sense for them as a business, but also hopefully, <laughs> hopefully makes sense in, in in terms of of tackling the issue of renewable energy um, yep. while still making their products. Which is, I think, all we can ask of large corporations is to like be responsible, but use your use your capital and your power to innovate and figure out what you can change because we're all going to have to change. Yeah. No, this dead on. Uh, I'm going to have to give up the keys to my car at some point. So. <laughs> Listen, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll just yeah. like take out the engine and then put in another electric engine. That's how it works, right? Oh, I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah it's going to be great. <laughs> hey, it's the week of really great clean transitions. Who wants to talk about Tumblr porn? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Unanimous, Jeff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hooray. So Tumblr has begun a, um, a an algorithmic crackdown on adult content, which has a very real genesis in um, child pornography that existed on the site, which they are very much trying to get rid of, which I think we can all agree is a very good thing to not have anywhere on the internet, and especially on a website with as many young people on it as Tumblr. However, Tumblr's ongoing saga of trying to deal with that has been a farce. A farce. They introduced an algorithm basically to flag posts that were considered banned under their new um, content guidelines. Not removing them from the site, but just adding a flag saying, hey this is something that would be taken down. And of course, the things that um, are not safe for work under the new content ban are quote unquote, female presenting nipples, um, sexual wait, content. Wait, wait, what? Oh, yes. What? Yes. Say these are again? the words. Female presenting. Okay. <laughs> nipples. Female presenting okay. nipples. Okay. Which is the one of the most incredible phrases that I have ever um, heard in my life. <laughs> This this algorithm is supposed to be able to understand. Um, oh, sorry. Things that are not blocked include um, things like, I believe, written sexual materials. Um, art is kind of a, a gray zone, but one. As of, I understand it, it's classical statues. Yeah, okay. classical statues yes. are supposed to be okay. Uh, okay. In practice, in practice, the algorithm has not been behaving. It has flagged a lot of things that contain zero sexual content or nudity, um, fan art drawn by artists. One of the great examples embedded in polygons right above this is just an image post with a bunch of pictures of Steven's face from Steven universe, which is apparently too hot, too hot for Tumblr. <laughs> it's a Steven um, presenting face. Yes. <laughs> is, is he, is he presenting female nipples in this picture? He's got Someone? a female presenting nipple face. Okay. It is the okay. problem there. Okay. There's yep. a turtle with a with a, a flower necklace on. Um and the the dark side and, and also some classical statues. So and a picture of Mr. Rogers with his feet in a kiddie pool with his policeman friend. 
um, which is apparently too hot for Tumblr, which kind of leads me <laughs> into one of the problems with this, which is that people have noticed allegedly that the algorithm is targeting content that could be considered LGBT content. Um, apparently this picture of Mr. Rogers sharing a kiddie pool <laughs> with another man is one of those things, I think. Um <laughs> And that's a huge issue for a platform like Tumblr, which has kind of made as as tense and fraught as that community can be. It is a place where a lot of LGBT youth and adults uh, have found varied communities within fandom and et cetera. Um, so that's the dark side of this. And then the other side of this is that it's a freaking nightmare mess. <laughs> <laughs> which is going to destroy this platform um, that kind of exists as the wild, the cultural wild west of the internet. It is one of the places where memes come from and people <laughs> on the platform are uh, kind of worried. They're both worried about basically like needing to flee like what they did from live journal in the old days to a new platform and then also uh there is a a group of people who are very determined to remain on the platform and on polygon.com our own patrona radulovich wrote a great uh long report uh interviewing some of the people who are staying and another very worthwhile report on the the weirdest weirdest not safe for work things that have happened on Tumblr over the years. The biggest drama. So, how do you guys feel about Tumblr's new interesting policies? I have a couple of comments. Yeah. Um, first, this uh, female presenting nipple thing <laughs> is such a 2018 phrase of what's a very famous uh, Supreme Court ruling from 50 years ago. I think it was... Uh, <laughs> where where I think it was uh, Justice uh, Potter Stewart um, yep. in the case of uh, uh, Jacobellus versus Ohio about uh, obscenity. And he uh, in his decision, he said, I... I will. I should not today attempt to further define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within the shorthand description, quote, hardcore pornography. <laughs> and perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so. But... Quote, I know it when I see it. And the motion picture involved in this case is not that. God, <laughs> and so wow. that's probably so known yep. as the I'll know it when I see it, like a definition of pornography. And I feel like this is just um, brought, you know, what would I say? Like, you know, uh, the, the tra history repeats itself as tragedy and the second time is farce. I feel like we're repeating that as a sort of like, uh, a, a, a badly designed algorithm version of farce of what Potter Stewart said 50 years ago. It so is. The algorithm has not learned to know <laughs> it when it sees it. So, I mean, the way I feel about this, I'm on record with Rocket many, many times. I'm a sex-positive feminist. I think you cannot have women's liberation without sexual liberation. Uh, and I think, in general... Um, being able to have communities where you can talk about this is really important. I, I want to share a story. I'm sorry if this is, is too personal, but I, I grew up in the South and I grew up in an area of the South with church three times a week where it was very, very taboo to talk about sex. And I remember every single month getting my copy of 17 magazine and being able to get frank discussions about sex and other things and it being so vital, so critical for my development as a person and letting me know that the things I was thinking about were normal, right? Um, and I think, like, Tumblr does have these communities, like you say, Simone, for LGBT uh, content and, you know, slash fic and, you know, uh, frankly, stuff that's I've got considered a little weird, but <laughs> I think it's not my business to judge it. It's, I just think it's so, it's so destructive that, you know, there are certainly like Ellen Powell taking down the upskirt uh, community at Reddit or fat hate at Reddit. 
you know, or getting rid of the community that, uh, you know, spread the, the, you know, the sex crime photos of Jennifer Lawrence and all the other celebrities that were, were hacked. I don't know if I can say the fappening on the show, but that's what it's commonly known as. Um, you know, like that is something to tackle. I think Tumblr has really become this, uh, kind of beautiful legacy of the Marissa Mayer, uh, you know, era of Yahoo and one of the more successful things that she did. And I just think it's so short-sighted that they are trying to ban some of the most vibrant communities on their service. I think it's important. Yeah. It, I think it has to, in some, it has to go back to money. Uh, I think Tumblr has been quite a difficult for them to monetize it's always it's had a very vibrant culture of people developing ad blockers for one thing and also it's just it's a weird it's a weird platform to try to to reach people on i think it but just based on my own experiences with ads on that platform which have just been so varied and uneven like nowhere near as tailored as say facebook's ads have been not that i want ads to be that personalized but you know what i mean like it, it's just <laughs> yeah. a lot of it was a lot of garbage when i was on tumblr um i think they've really struggled to kind of reach people with meaningful advertisements that being said they have certainly reached them with weird visual novel dating games um so and i i think the the pornography scandal was just another blow to that marketability of tumblr because if it's if it's your platform where it is like so many fragmented communities, so many, I think, vulnerable communities also that are kind of difficult to monetize. And then now you have this problem where, oh my, there, there's literal like felony go to freaking jail child pornography on this platform. It's, it's becoming toxic or I think it has been toxic in a lot of ways. Um, that that being said, like that, yes, there is, there are beautiful, vibrant, wonderful, vital communities that that exist alongside all of this garbage, much like with Reddit, for example. Um, but I think it really has been a challenge, and this is kind of their last ditch effort to to figure out a way to make Tumblr appropriate, <laughs> and that's not something that the platform is ever going to be. You know what's I think I think is ironic is they might get the worst of both worlds, right? There's the aspect of the hard to monetize, but you know, um, truly, you know, Tumblr weird, as they say, uh, you know, the Tumblr number of genders yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. part of the community. And then there's the quote unquote, more easily monetizable advertising targeted one, right? But in this process, you might end up losing both because uh, you're going to destroy what worked for, uh, you know, the, uh, the the sort of diverse and sort of cacophonous uh, and searching community on the one hand, because they're going to be banned or they're going to feel like they're not supported and uh, th- th- they're not going to be sure the content isn't taken down, even for innocuous stuff on the one hand. So you lose the first part. Mm-hmm. And then I'm willing to bet that even after all that, you're, if you lose your most core passionate fans, then why would advertisers want to go there? So, I, I mean, I don't know that... I don't have a great uh, um, uh, uh, recommendation for them, but I can't help but think that this, they're just going to get the worst of both worlds. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Do you have any thoughts about the machine? Uh, that, like, I think one of the more interesting technical aspects of this has been the uh, machine learning attempts to identify pornography on the platform. <laughs> it's got like pixel art of Final Fantasy characters, <laughs> like they've been identified there. Do you have any thought about the like machine learning? Because like when you're doing a captcha thing, where it's like, are you not a robot? Like I've noticed they show me cars and not boobs right (laughs) to identify like pornography i mean what are the machine learning challenges there well it's very funny this is a inter intersection between what seems like really impressive progress in machine learning generally uh and deep learning in particular in the last five years you hear all these really impressive results from the labs and published in the papers since uh especially since 2012 when um alex net did an amazing performance on a commonly known competition annual competition called ImageNet. but then you see that the devil's in the details when you try to apply it to the real world uh it, the results are only as good as you know, like 
how you define the problem, um, how much time you spend on it, what kind of training data you give the algorithms to learn on. Now, if you if, if you define it in in a narrow enough terms, yes, machine learning uh, can be extremely helpful here. But this is without even opening the the black box to see exactly what they did. Just by looking at the output, you can say all right, well, this clearly didn't work. <laughs> so, I mean, my takeaway from that is it's a cautionary tale for everyone who wants to just, you know, spray paint machine learning on everything and think that's <laughs> going to, like, pixie dust solve everything, right? Um, and to, to have some humility for machine learning practitioners to understand the scope of the problem. That's one. Two is for business people who want to, uh, to, to leverage machine learning to really understand what they're doing and not just take these off-the-shelf technologies and say, oh, well, this seems like a low-cost way of doing it. Here are some open-source frameworks. Let's just you know, throw it in there and then move it into production without really testing it, right? <laughs> and then number three, um, I would think that, um, th- that, again, I try to look at the larger systems and institutions before you even say, okay, we're going to solve the problem um, you, you need to understand what problem you're trying to solve. If you're narrowly trying to solve, like, you know, the issue of child pornography, which, again, I think we're all unanimously agreed that absolutely needs to be stopped, is yeah. this sort of blanket sort of um, uh, approach the right way where you're, you know, capturing all these things that have nothing to do, like, you know, Steven Universe, mm-hmm. then uh, <laughs> maybe you should rather do, a, rather than having a top-down blanket carpet bombing approach, you should have a bottom-up sort of like, okay, we narrowly want these f- uh, th- these types of things to be taken down. Um, obviously, Facebook has a lot more, and, and Twitter has a lot more uh, resources than, than Tumblr. Although I guess Oath has a ton of resources. And yep. yeah. they don't have... I mean, they, those platforms definitely have those their own issues, but I don't think they seem to have this particular problem. So I wouldn't say it's a solved problem, but it's interesting that Tumblr has had uh, so much more of a problem. Actually, let me take that back. That said, neither Facebook, Facebook never was um, the brand of places for uh, people to express themselves, uh, whether it was marginalized communities, LGBTQ folks, uh, young people trying to figure things out, um, mm-hmm. or sex workers who were trying to find a, a place to, uh, you know, uh, uh, to uh, to connect with potential customers, um, mm-hmm. Facebook was not a place like that. So I guess in a way, Tumblr has more of a challenge than some of the other mainstream networks. But that said, I still feel like this is a uh, ho- horrible implementation, which <laughs> you know, just yeah, that's so generous. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking? You know, what I think the problem is with this. You know, what they were saying at the machine learning algorithms, they probably had a bunch of like vanilla like you know like engineers come in with like what they consider to be like you know data sets for pornography and it just simply can't compete with the stuff that's on tumblr (laughs) like it's just so different on there that their data sets probably (laughs) well actually you know what we were saying earlier i'm not joking no no no. you need voice in the room and you need um, to, to get away from like uh you know biased results in your machine learning you need to actually have a balanced data set that isn't skewed towards very homogenous types of input. Right. (laughs) Maybe they will use these uh, bad flagged results to teach the machines how to identify a female presenting nipple. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all we can hope for from this episode. Could you even engineer that if you tried, Jeff? If you had a client that came in and was like... (laughs) I'm really interested in machine learning to identify female persons. Oh my Isn't goodness. this just the bikini photo guy that we talked about last week? Oh my week? gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could do that probably. Okay, yeah. All yeah. right. Hey, I'm let's thinking talk about, about the Okay, yeah, sorry. Let's talk about what we're doing this week. <laughs> Brianna, what are you doing? I'm starting a new startup with um, Noah. Um, <laughs> Find the female presenting nipple. Yes, I'm going to do that. <laughs> At minimum, we're starting a new Squarespace site. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I keep Salem. coming back to the female presenting nipple example. It's, it's hilarious. It's the only it's, member it's we're on. Phrase. I, okay, I have to say that I'm, I'm reading a Tom Clancy novel, Patriot Games, from the, you know, it's from the late 90s, uh, I'm sorry, early 90s, late 80s, right? And he goes in this long diatribe about how satellites in the 80s, like they actually had to compute because they didn't have much pixel data and figure out all these things about what it was they were looking down on and how they had done a lot of calculations to identify certain parts of women, 
from these like grainy <laughs> black and white photos. So oh it can be done probably. Um, anyway, what am I doing this week? I am running for United States Congress. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of speedy, speaking engagements this week. I'm speaking at some DTCs. Uh, this week, I actually get to connect with a lot of my friends in the uh, the game industry. Uh, my friend Forrest, who was on the team, they shipped uh, The Fire and the Flood. I get to have lunch with them tomorrow. I'm very excited about yeah. that. And more than anything else, I am looking forward to the holidays coming up. Frank and I celebrate Christmas and I have to tell you about this, Simone. I have to tell you about this. Tell. You know what Frank asked for for Christmas this year? And I just got it for him. There is a 22-foot inflatable (gasps) Fortnite battle bus. And it's huge. It's a bus with a giant balloon on it. It It's so stupid, I cannot even describe it to you. (laughs) And Frank asked for that for Christmas, and I got it for him. And we're going to put it in our front yard. And we're going to put Christmas lights all over it. And it's going to be amazing. Bree, you are wonderful. All f- yep. I'm, I'm looking at it now. It's ridiculous. Yes. Isn't that beautiful? So when it says Brianna Wu 2018 on the side in Christmas lights, that's going to be beautiful. It's you are really be reaching like- out to the youth voters. Damn. We're very serious about that. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Jeff, what are you up to this week? I am working on some uh, project proposals for our clients so that we can get a fast start in 2019. And uh, that might mean that I will be traveling outside of North America, which is exciting. Um, uh, Slash scary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, let's see, for fun stuff, uh, there's a couple of things I'm trying to read. But actually, I think as an end of year thing, there's been a number of really good TV shows. And I might rewatch Killing Eve now that it has showed up on Hulu. It is now available on Hulu. I watched it the first time and it is great. I I feel like the end of – I'm not going to give anything away. But the the opening is far stronger than the end. But the whole thing is super uh, entertaining and worth watching. I love that show. I'm very happy for you to be rewatching such an enjoyable show. I am listening to a podcast about the Salem Witch Trials. As you, as everyone knows now, as everyone knows, uh, I said I would talk about it when I when talking about what I'm doing this week. It's called Unobscured. Um, and it goes like way more in depth than anything else I've ever read or learned about the Salem Witch Trials. Um, so I, I am having a revelation about how much more expansive they were than I thought they were, which is so great to know about. Um, but also just a lot more about the um, ge- geographical context of them and the political context of what was going on at the time. Um, those Pur- the, the, I think the takeaway for me is still those Puritans are bonkers, but there's a lot of a lot more complicated factors than I ever even knew. And a lot what's of people... The most, what's the most fascinating, complicating factor? Um, Maine, actually. The existence of Maine. Th- this is the one that stuck most in my head. At the time, Maine was, you know, the northern frontier of the colonies. And I think Massachusetts had some, some sort of governing power there. Uh, I, that's a detail that I'm kind of fuzzy on but the the main takeaway was that in maine there was a lot of conflict between colonists and the native americans there was just huge bloody horrible conflict going on uh that was kind of creeping ever south and so people in massachusetts area at the time believed that the native americans were like they they were not puritans they were in league with the devil and so that ongoing conflict and refugees coming down from Maine and th- was something that they saw as a sign that the devil was at work in their community. And they were scared not just of witches in their community causing people to get sick, but the idea that there was this outs- dark outside force that was coming ever closer, which, as we know, is horribly racist. But that was this this added context to the hysteria of Salem and the surrounding area that I don't think I had ever learned about in school. I am shocked, shocked to hear you suggest that there's ever been racism in Boston. That is stunning. <laughs> and Topsfield and Andover and Beverly. Andover? I know all the names. 
I expect Andover. more out of Andover. That's not in my district, so I can talk smack about it. Nice. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I learned this week. I will be making my Puritan name generator any day now. <laughs> hey, Jeff, where can we find you online? I am on Twitter at Jeff Huang. That's J-E-F-F-H-W-A-N-G. And if you need help with AI, uh, please come check us out at www.mindscale.ai. Nice. Thank you so much again for filling in for Christina. It has been a wonderful a, a, a wonderful experience. It's been I'm nice so knowing you. <laughs> oh, oh, you will be back. Don't don't have any doubt about that. So, would you like a Puritan name before you go? I would be honored. Your Puritan name, as decreed by me, is Weep Not Cartwright. I love it. I love it. Thank you. It, it's it's mine to give to you. All right, Bree. Where can we find you online? You can find me on Facebook at developer Brianna Wu, uh, where I'm posting political content regularly. And you can see me at the fun and exciting and thrilling Twitter account known as at Brianna Wu. Amazing. Would you like a Puritan name? I would love a Puritan name. Wow. Your Puritan name is Humanity Lathrop. <laughs> oh, the Thank humanity. You. I like that. What up, Thank you. humanity in the house? <laughs> yep, there we go. And I, of course, can be found on Twitter at Doom Quasar, where someday I will log in again. And until then, you can see my videos at youtube.com slash polygon. And of course, you can find me by my Puritan name, Repent Pedal, spelled P-E-E-D-L-E. Pedal. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, has been our show. Christina's if you enjoyed it, week. please review it on Apple Podcasts because that is something that we endlessly appreciate. And tell a friend about it if they are curious about the latest tech news and want to get caught up. We would love to be the, the that place for them. And if they would like a Puritan name, I'm also available for that service as well. Although I will confess, I just Googled them a Puritan name generator. Thank you, everyone. This episode <laughs> of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. This trial is over. <laughs> <laughs>